Welcome to episode 49 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. Happy Happy holidays. holidays. I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas. We are still marrying over here. Mom and my stepdad always come and stay with us the weekend after Christmas. Don't forget Obi. Oh, couldn't forget (laughs) Obi. The fam bam gets together. We drink wine. We play board games. We drink wine. We eat some yummy food. We drink drink wine. wine. (laughs) This year, because of COVID and new work schedules and everything, not all the family could get together. It was a little different, but we didn't let it get us down. We drank wine. (laughs) (laughs) Still had a good time. Yes. This week, we will be sharing true crime and paranormal stories from the state of North Carolina. Where we first met George in episode three, by the way. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. That's right. I have the true crime this week and Mama has the paranormal and the beverage. Yes. It was actually, sometimes it's kind of vague as to what the state drink is, but this one was not. This came up on many, many sites. Really? Yes. So North Carolina does have a state drink. Well, it looks the drink looks very festive for the holiday. Yeah, that's why I chose it. <laughs> and it's called Cherry the Cherry Bounce. Oh, okay. Originally, actually, um, George, talking about George, George Washington, this was his favorite drink. So Martha, what? So Martha would make it, and this is the way she made it, with brandy, cherries, and sugar. And you put that in a jar and just let it infuse for several weeks or even months. Oh, um, in fact, one site that I read, it was like for three months. Seeing that I just found this yesterday. <laughs> I had to prepare for this drink, mom. <laughs> I had to do the updated version. And that was I used one and a half ounces of cherry vodka, mm. two ounces of cranberry juice, a half an ounce of fresh lime juice. Shook that because now we have a shaker. Shook that. Topped it off with club soda. And I actually did garnish it. You did. With cherries. You did. <laughs> so the Cherry Bounce, which is Raleigh, North Carolina's official cocktail. And I got this, by the way, from waltermagazine.com. Very cool. So let's taste this. Oh, I'm excited. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Are you sure there's alcohol in that? Kind of tastes like a Sprite kind of a... With super a, easy to drink. Let's just a, say that. With a cherry kick to it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of good. It does have alcohol because I use the cherry vodka. And I, of course, I always am heavy handed. So yes, you, you are. You probably, <laughs> ha- I mean, I know that you have more vodka in there than what it calls for. Oh, it's very light. It has a really yummy flavor to it. Mm, I like that cherry. Yeah. So I'm thinking, honestly, of getting some tart cherries. Mm-hmm. And then in- infusing them for like three well, months or so. There was another cocktail with... that I made a couple weeks ago that called for brandied cherries. Yeah. Maybe we should just make these cherries so we have them on hand. I don't taste too much cranberry. No, but it has that little tang. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really yummy. Oh, and I, oh, I like cherries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like cherries. Even after all the boxes of chocolate-covered cherries I ate through Christmas. Uh, gross. Mm, my favorite. 
I'm going to sit here and sip on this and you tell the true crime. Okay. Not now, but in the coming years, it will be in a better land. We'll read the meaning of our tears and then sometime we'll understand. This is what is written on the gravestone of the murdered victims of this week's case. The eight victims and the murderer were all buried together in one mass grave. Oh my gosh. Here comes Beth with the true crime, ready to spoil your holiday break. (laughs) With another murder that involves children. Oh, Beth. Basically an entire family. God, Beth. Uh, So this is also another case, another uh, quote unquote true crime story where the victims lives have all been summed up into this terrible tragedy. Now, I will say I did the best I can. The case happened in 1929. I did as much digging as I could and got as much information on the victims that I could so that I could include that and again, advocate for the victims. Mm -hmm. But it happened so long ago and it's hard. It's hard sometimes. I did the best I could. And I've been wanting to share this story with you for a while, mom. Oh. And with the tragic murders happening on Christmas, Mm. I decided to put it off to share with you until now. Oh, goody. (laughs) Okay. Let me introduce to you Charles, or Charlie, and Fanny Lawson. The couple got married in 1911 when Fanny was 18 years old and Charlie was 25. They both came from larger families. I know that Fanny had 10 brothers and sisters. I'm not exactly sure about Charlie. But he came from a family of sharecroppers, mostly tobacco farmers. The couple lived in Lawsonville, North Carolina for a while near both of their families. And I couldn't find because his last name is Lawson and they lived in Lawsonville. Oh, I wonder if there's... But I don't couldn't no find any connections, like if his family owned it. But they're not a very wealthy family. Yeah. So I think that's just a odd coincidence. Okay. Uh, But that's where they both grew up. And when a few of Charlie's brothers and their families moved out to Germantown, North Carolina, for better farming opportunities because it was closer to Winston-Salem for better, like, sales for their tobacco. Oh, okay. It was a bigger city. Uh So they all moved out to Germantown, and Charlie really wanted to follow suit and move for a better opportunity for his family. So now Fanny and Charlie had eight children. Their third child, William, died when he was six from an illness. Oh. I read it could have been pneumonia, but... Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It just kept saying an illness. But Charlie saved up and moved his large family out to Germantown, where his kinfolk moved out to as well. Mm-hmm. So he's still surrounded by that a family. lot of family. But she's not. Right. It's her okay. in-laws. They all move into a small log cabin. I read that the cabin was well over 100 years old when they moved in. Holy smokes. And it came, But it came with like a pretty large property with a couple barns that would be really good for tobacco farming. Mm-hmm. And he saved enough money. And so he moved the phone. The phone. They had phones? No phones. <laughs> in the barn and in the house? Ooh, are you sure you didn't brandy these cherries? I just took a drink. It went straight to my head. Okay. He moved his family to Germantown, okay? And I think because the farm and the log cabin was so old, they got a pretty good deal on it. So that's the background I have for you. That's the bulk of the information I could gather for you. Most of it actually came from findagrave.com. 
oh. where you can kind of track people's genealogy and stuff. Uh-huh. So I did that. And that's honestly the best I can get for you. So when our story takes place, it's 1929. And I'll give you the children's names and their ages at this time in 1929. The oldest was Marie. She was 17. And there was Arthur. He went by Buck sometimes. He was 16. Carrie was 12. Lucinda was seven, James four, Raymond two, and baby Mary Lou was about three months old. Oh, Mary Lou. Okay, so here is a picture of the family, Mom. Wow, were they told not to smile? (laughs) So this photo was taken only a few weeks before the family was killed. And it's super haunting to me. I'll post the photo on our website and our social media and stuff, but... Mom, can you describe the photo the best you can from looking at it? Well, first of all, no one is smiling, which is just weird. Everybody looks really depressed. The guy at the end, his eyes are glowing. (laughs) (laughs) That's Arthur. That's the oldest son. It's just a black and white of a very stern looking family. Do you notice anything odd about it at all? Do you like, am I supposed to see an extra hand or something? Well, usually the parents are in the middle. Yeah. And here they're not. They're on the side. Mm-hmm. And Arthur, man, how old is he? He's 16. Oh, he looks like he's 25. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> and she's 17? Mm-hmm. She looks like she's 30. <laughs> she's, some, she's got some fabulous finger waves in does. her hair. Marie does. They look very cool. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the way they were posed, I guess. So maybe because I know the case, but I find myself like just staring at this picture, trying to figure them all out. The way they're leaning towards each other, some are moving, you know, leaning away from each other. Seriously, even researchers and authors, Bruce Jones and Trudy Smith, have never seen another photo of the family. This is the only photo of the family out there. I mean, it was the late 20s, and the family was a poor farming family, so pictures were a big deal. Mm -hmm. But this is the only photo out there of the family. And what makes it even more intriguing is the story behind it. So one day, Charlie takes his whole family to Winston-Salem, the bigger town about 13 miles from where they lived, and bought them these new outfits, some pretty fancy clothes, and actually treated them to a few things in town and had them all sit for this photo. He spent a pretty penny that day, and apparently he told them that it was part of a Christmas surprise. Eerie, considering that Charlie Lawson would go on to kill his family on Christmas Day just a few weeks later. Oh, the babies. Like I mentioned, there was some other family that moved out to Germantown, and they all gathered together Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. The children got up and played in the snow with their cousins, and the older boy Arthur and another cousin around his age spent the early morning shooting cans and rabbit hunting. They all had breakfast, and Marie, the oldest daughter, set to making the Christmas cake, a raisin cake. So like I said, Arthur and his cousin are out hunting rabbits and they start to run low on shells. So they go ask Charlie if he has any more. He tells them that he doesn't and he sends them into town to get more. Now, I read that it was a very cold 
very snowy Christmas. I guess it was like one of the most snowy Christmases. So there's a ton of snow. So I'm assuming they walked because while in town buying the shells, Arthur is sought out by someone in town telling him that there had been a massacre at his family home. Oh, no. While they were in town. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that they walked because it was... Because it took a while. Mm -hmm. After Arthur had left, Charlie Lawson had hid behind one of the barns and ambushed his two daughters as they were heading to their aunt's house to wish them a Merry Christmas. He shot one with a rifle and the other with a shotgun. Jeez. He drugged the two little girls into the barn where he placed their heads on rocks, closed their eyes, and crossed their little arms across their chests. Oh, for goodness sake. Heading back to the house, he shoots his wife, Fanny. Now, what's interesting about this is that it was assumed that she was killed there on the front porch instantly. But over the years of interviews, Trudy Smith and Bruce Jones wrote a book called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas Mm -hmm. about this. And they did a ton of interviews to write that story. And over the years of interviews, she discovered an eyewitness. What? An elderly man, Hassel Miller, was in his 80s. And he told a terrifying story to his caregiver at the time. Now, he only told her. This was not a story that he repeated to her. It was kind of like a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. But when he told the story, he basically became white and like started shaking. He was absolutely terrified as he was telling her this story. And again, she was the only one that he ever spoke to about it. And from what I understand, it was just that one occurrence that he told her. But she reached out to Judy with what he had told her. The caregiver reached out to Judy, the author, author. with what he had told her. And the details he gave were only details that the coroners would have known at the time. Oh, my gosh. Hassel Miller was nine at the time, a neighbor boy playing with the Lawson children. And when he heard screams and commotion, he ran into the back door of the Lawson home to see Charles Lawson dragging an injured, not yet dead, Fanny into the home. Oh, my gosh. She had to have been in pure agony, especially if she believed her children were being killed as well. Yeah. Hassel then witnessed Charlie Lawson kill his daughter Marie with a shotgun. Now, these are the details he knew that made it clear that he was there because Marie was shot in the back and it was always assumed that she was turning to grab the fire poker as a weapon to Mm -hmm. fight off her father. And Hassel said that was exactly what she was doing when she was shot with the huge blast of the shotgun. Oh, jeez. The shot threw her against the stone fireplace, breaking her teeth, her neck, and her wrist in the process. The shot reverberated so loudly in the cabin that all the clocks in the home stopped at 1.25. That's eerie. Charles Lawson turned and looked Hassel in the eyes. Mm -hmm. The little nine-year-old turned and ran and never spoke of the moment to anyone until that one until he shared the story with his caretaker when he was in his 80s holy smokes to carry that with you can you imagine no no after marie was killed charles went and killed the remaining lawson children three month mary lou last in her crib he left the bodies all posed eyes closed arms crossed across their chest with pillows under their heads Charles' nephew, Claude, came by the house to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. 
and discovered the bodies. He drove to town for help, and this is when Arthur was sought out and told the right. terrible news. Oh, jeez. Now, in all of this mess, where was Charlie? Yeah, where did that jerk go to? The situation was terrible. It was Christmas Day, for goodness sake. The sheriff, neighbors, the family all gathered at the Lawson family cabin. A bonfire was built in the front yard. There was just so many questions. Sometime between 5 and 6 p.m., a loud shot is heard in the woods, a distance from the cabin, followed by the mourning bellows of the Lawson's two bloodhounds. Following the dog's cries, they discover the body of Charles Lawson in the woods. He had killed himself. He had shot himself in the chest. Poor Arthur. Arthur, I'm sorry that I said your eyes were weird. <laughs> I feel so bad for doing that now. That poor man just lost everything. He's a poor boy. He was 16. Jeez. Judy, the author of White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, was interviewed on this podcast I listened to called The Most Notorious, a true crime history podcast. And she made mention that there were matches found by Charlie's body. So he had a harder time killing himself than he did killing his family. He was out there for at least four hours in his own little debacle, lighting matches to keep his hands warm. Oh, geez. With his bloodhounds. With his dogs. So many questions left unanswered with this tragedy. Why not kill Arthur? Was it a plan? Maybe because Arthur could have killed him. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Or gotten him. But Arthur knew how to use a gun. He had been out shooting and maybe his dad was afraid of him. I don't know. Some thought that maybe he wanted Arthur to carry on the family name. But there was a lot of Lawson's. Like there was there's a lot of them out there. So I don't know if that's necessarily uh, Charlie true. sent him to town. Yeah. Yeah. Even though there obviously was ammo there at the farm because he used... He had shotguns. Shot- yeah. yeah. And he used two guns. He used a rifle and a shotgun. Um, now, witnesses had come forward and said that he had been having some difficulties with his rifle, like jamming. And so they think that that had happened because he shot one of the first little girls with the rifle and then the second was with the shotgun. Mm. Some also speculated that all of this came from a head injury that Charlie had received when repairing something on the farm. Apparently, he got hit in the head while making some repairs, and it was pretty bad. And this was two years prior to the murders, and he had suffered anger spurts and, I guess, afterwards as well complained of severe headaches. Those dang head injuries again. I know. So some think that that had something to do with it. And apparently at a wake for a neighbor a few weeks prior to the Lawson killings, Charles said something along the lines of, I can't imagine dying unless I took my family with me. Oh, geez. So now all of these are things that that could have been just said in innocence. But because it was at a wake a few weeks before this incident, around probably the same time that that photo was taken. Oh, it's just crazy. Like he, I think he had this plan for a while. Do you? I do. I think that... He definitely had it planned because he sent Arthur to town. He definitely had it planned. Yeah, and I think that this picture being taken, he he did not spend money like that. And he let them pick out these really fancy clothes for this picture, drove them into town, let them buy things, and then sat them for this picture. That is not cheap. 
So basically gave them a Christmas then that yeah, day. Yeah, and then and I also read that he was not one for buying the children toys for Christmas even. He was not a spender. That was not something he did. So this was unusual. So this was super unusual. And a lot of people speculate because he really wanted like a really pretty image of his family before he killed them all. Oh my gosh. After Judy, that author, and her father wrote their book, White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, right before it was published, they sent the book to some of the Lawson family. While they were writing this book, I guess the pair were put under some terrible duress, like with death threats and stuff. Why? I'm not exactly sure, but that's what she was saying in that podcast I listened to in the interviews. There's a lot of people that did not want this story told, and this might give you the answer. One letter they received back was from Charlie's niece, Stella. She asked that the father-daughter author team come out to Germantown so she could tell them what really happened. Stella told Judy and her father that Marie was pregnant with Charlie's baby. Oh my gosh, that's what you told me to look at the picture. During their interviews and research, this kept creeping into their story, but they kept writing it off with all the other rumors. But here was a family member telling them this. Stella told them that after the murder happened, the family had all gathered and promised that no one would talk about it. It was a family pact of sorts. Stella remembered as a kid all the adults gathering and like making this pact, all the Lawsons gathering and making this pact. So this wasn't the first time they had heard this. No, as they were doing interviews, they kept, this rumor kept creeping into their research. Oh, my god! It was gosh. all just a rumor. So then when this family member comes out and was like, yeah, no, that was real. And she really wanted the true story out there with all the facts. Marie was pregnant with her father's baby. Oh, gosh. Another witness years later, and that's why Judy ended up writing a second book because she kept getting more and more people coming forward after Mm -hmm. White Christmas, Bloody Christmas. Mm -hmm. She decided to write a second book to like a continuance of that book. She had another witness come forward, Ella Mae Johnson. She was a friend of Marie at the time of the murder. Wow. She had spent the night at the Lawson's home only a few weeks before the murders, and she confirmed that that night Marie broke down and cried to her. She was convinced she was pregnant and it was by her father. Oh, my God. So, Mom, again, take a look at that photo. It's a little more eerie now, isn't it? I don't know that I want to. (laughs) I don't know if I want to. It's a little more haunting now. Oh, the creep. Ugh. That's why he's not in the middle. He's in the middle with his daughter. Maybe that's why Fanny looks so mad. Oh, she does. She looks miserable. Oh, he's a creep. According to the Charlotte Observer in 1929, more than 5,000 people came to the family's funeral. Wow. Where'd they get that? I mean, did the news spread or what? Yes. This wasn't just some small town case anymore. The crime was even reported in the New York Times. Oh, wow. The caskets at the funeral were open casket. No. Which I just can't imagine. Not with the babies. No. And the most heartbreaking image I have is that Fanny was buried holding her three-month-old baby. Now, this murder has been sensationalized, much like Eugene Butler's. Oh, with the bones underneath the house? Yeah, and how everybody came and took everything. Yeah. And that cacao story that was. People came from all over to see this crime scene. And 
actually, it was Marion Lawson, Charlie's brother, who decided to sell tickets. Oh, good Lord. For people to tour the home. Oh, let's just make some money out of it this. It became this whole thing. 25 cents for a tour, another 25 cents for a souvenir pamphlet, and they even sold crime scene photos as well. Mm. Thousands of people came, Mom. Thousands. That was one thing that Judy and her father found in their research when they were writing their book. Everyone they interviewed from around Germantown had or had family that had gone through the Lawson home after the oh murders. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's like Beliska. Everybody came running and went through the house. Exactly. The kitchen table still had the breakfast dishes on it. And that raisin cake yeah, that Marie that made making, yeah. sat in the middle of the table, frosted and all ready for Christmas Day. Over time, people were stealing raisins from the cake as keep keepsakes. It. Finger marks were in the frosting. So they just put a glass case over it so people could still see it. <sighs> it became a pretty infamous raisin cake. It was the Lawson family that was doing this. And I was in utter shock reading that until I heard from Judy in that interview in that podcast. All the money went to Arthur. Oh, yeah, because he's a 16-year-old kid all there, all by himself. He just lost everything. These people were going to come regardless. So why not actually make some money on it to help this kid out? Keep this farm going maybe for him for a future. Yeah, and I keep apologizing. Okay, I'm <laughs> sorry, Charlie's brother, for bad-mouthing you. You were just trying he to He honestly had no choice. He honestly had no choice. One famous person that came to check things out was gangster John Dillinger himself. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It is. And it's super ironic because he was killed. And when he was killed in the streets of Chicago, people were coming over with their handkerchiefs to and their some of his blood to collect his blood, to soak up his blood off the street. I mean, that's just crazy. I don't know. I have to. OK, so we do true crime because we're fascinated by it. It blows you away, I know. I draw the line to, <laughs> as I to when I see a dead person to go and get a souvenir from it. No, that's... So there was actually... Another interesting thing about this is there is even a folk song... A what, Beth? Folk song. A folk song. A folk song written by the Carolina Buddies about the massacre. I guess there was this whole murder ballad genre back then <laughs> and back when 1920s oh okay 1930s so it was right after the murder that they put this ballad together oh literally the murders happened december of 1929 this song came out march of 1930 oh my gosh yes columbia records picked it up and they made a pretty good killing on it they would have made more no money if it wasn't intended. for okay Okay. Uh, they would have done better, made more sales, sold more records if it wasn't for the Depression. Mm. This is right, right in the middle of the Depression. And like, I guess I actually listened to this podcast. It was super interesting. But a record back then was like 75 cents. Mm -hmm. And that's a week's wages. Oh, my God. So it was kind of a big deal to get a record. Wow. back then and but they sold pretty well and the carolina buddies would come out to the lawson family farm and perform live for people on their tours there 
Oh my And then gosh. when they couldn't come out there, they would play the record in the house in front of the family portrait on the table oh. on an old wooden Vitrola. Oh my gosh. It's just a horrible case and super tragic. And poor Arthur, at the age of 31, he actually died in a tragic freak truck accident. Are you kidding me? No. The tours with the raisin cake <laughs> remained open until 1934. Wow. Yeah. Then the cabin sat with many n- nosy visitors over the years. It was torn down in the 80s, I believe. Mm. But yeah, the family is all buried together in one plot. Their stone is all one stone. And Charles' name is on that stone. Okay, how many more father kills family stories can you trudge up? Sorry. That is just awful. I know. But it's heartbreaking. I think it's the the knock in the head. Yeah. The head injury. I mean, he got his daughter pregnant. I think that didn't exactly help the situation either. Okay, so he was sick. I hope he wasn't messing with the other girls too. That's what a lot of people were thinking too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And maybe he was like... I mean, I'm sorry. This is not very Christian of me, but I mean, go out in the woods yourself. Like, why would you do that to your family? Well, your he entire he family. wasn't going to go out without his family. Ugh, sick. It's just... Maybe he didn't want to leave them destitute. <laughs> just like List. Oh, John List. Yeah. There's another... Mm. Well, John List didn't even kill himself. He went off and lived his own life. Have, you know. Ugh. I know. I don't know if we're ever going to cover a true crime story where we're happy with the murderer, but. <laughs> well, thanks. happy holidays. Thanks for the downer. <laughs> I'm going to give you an upper. Yay. <laughs> I'll take one of those, please. And I would be really surprised if you haven't heard of this. Seeing that you did live in North Carolina for a time. Yes, I lived there for three years. Have you heard of the Biltmore Estate in <gasps> Asheville? I've been there. I love the Biltmore Estate. It is super haunted. Ooh, I'm going to chime in a lot. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, yes. Alex and I went there. It is absolutely beautiful. Do you it know is many, gorgeous. Do you know how oh many my movies gosh. are filmed there? There are so many movies filmed there. It's the um, Richie Rich do you remember that movie yeah, with Macaulay yeah, Culkin? Yeah, uh-huh. um, it was filmed there. Oh. there's But there's so many movies that are filmed there, but that's the one that first it's comes to mind right now. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, so, it's gorgeous. Like we I went s- during Christmas time. They do Christmas oh, tours. Oh, yeah. I've seen pictures of that Christmas Holy tours. Holy yeah. cow. Okay. I'll let you talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I said, this is in Asheville, North Carolina. It's said to be the largest privately owned estate in the U.S. Oh, it's huge. It sits on 8,000 acres, and when it was originally bought, the land was originally bought, those acreage included farms and a couple of cemeteries. Oof. So George Washington Vanderbilt. Man, that ties into my drink. It does. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Well, I, I wasn't talking though. about that George Washington. <laughs> I was talking about the real first well, we first George introduced Washington. George in North Carolina in episode three. Here we are again with multiple Georges. <laughs> So George Washington Vanderbilt fell in love with Asheville during his visits with his mother, who happened to reside there. It's gorgeous. So much so that he decided to build a summer getaway home. 
the castle. Construction began in 1889 and was completed in 1895. Now, I don't know about you, but I think of a summer getaway home. I'm picturing a small cabin or bungalow on the beach, of course, (laughs) but a small little place that I don't have to keep clean, you know, sure. Worry about. Yeah, obviously, George had far loftier ideas of a summer home. Let me first tell you about the construction of said summer home. George did everything to keep construction on track. He had a woodworking factory and a brick kiln built on the site. There were as many as 32,000 bricks produced per day. Oh, but that's not all. He also had a private railroad constructed to connect to the property. Yep. Ensuring that items came directly to the site. More people than, would take those railroads into party. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah, because he would they have his family of those. He would have his family come out and take that private railroad. And I always thought that was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> More than 1,000 labored away while George traveled to Europe to find an interior decorator. On Christmas Eve, 1895, the summer home was christened with a party. Only distinguished guests were invited. I mean, you don't want to invite riffraff into a whole house that cost $5 million to build, and that would be about $90 million today. Holy cow! Let me add here that many important people have stayed at the house. Ambassadors, authors, and U.S. presidents. And even Beth and Alex have visited the place. <laughs> I know, I was the most <laughs> famous of all. The Biltmore has plenty of rooms to accommodate guests. This modest summer home (laughs) has 1,708, 926 square feet of floor space. That's about four acres. Oh, it's huge. With 250 rooms, 43 bathrooms. Yeah, that blew Alex's mind when we took the tour. 43 (laughs) bathrooms. Let me repeat that. Ridiculous. And 65 fireplaces. The gardens around the home are absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. With water features surrounded by perfectly manicured greenery. Uh, Looking at the pictures, because I was not fortunate enough to go there, I was reminded of the chateaus and the estates that I toured when I was in Europe, when Mm -hmm. I lived in Europe. Yeah, we went in, like I said, Christmas tour, so the gardens were not full, you know, blooming or anything like that, but ugh. Just the mountains, just the view alone. Yeah, that's what they said. The view was just remarkable. But money or not, everyone's time comes eventually. George died in 1914 at the age of 51 from complications from an emergency appendectomy. His wife, Edith, and daughter, Cornelia, continued to live at the Biltmore. In fact, the home continues to be maintained and lived in by members of the Vanderbilt family. Mm Mm-hmm. It became a historical national landmark in 1963 and sees more than a million visitors per year. Oh, yeah. It was packed. Well, maybe not this year. Oh, yeah. Probably not. But, okay. Do you want to add anything to that? Since <laughs> I'll do the paranormal. I'm going to do the paranormal next. But if you wanted to add something about the interior. Or oh, anything? I mean, honestly. It was just stunning, and it was all done up for Christmas, so they had, like, tons of Christmas trees in every room, and it was just candles. That I, it was so extravagant. I, so the staircase is this, like, spiral made staircase of stone. It looks just oh my gosh. crazy. And the dining room, the table oh, yeah. was, like, yeah. 
as long as my house is wide. Like it was ridiculous with these huge fireplaces and there was a room for everything. Um, I'm so sorry. What was Mrs. Vanderbilt's name? Edith. Edith had like a drawing room, a sitting room, a tea room. There was like all these different rooms. And then my favorite room was the library. Oh, yeah. And that was also, by the way, George's favorite room. Mm -hmm. But anyway. (laughs) Okay, so that's a little bit about the Biltmore. But if you think of something else, you can add to it. But what about the paranormal? There are many reports by visitors as well as staff of unexplained activity. Many of the reports are of hearing a woman whispering and repeating the name George down the hallways. There's a George. I just, I'm sorry, but that's (laughs) so cool. Here's another George. (laughs) Is this Edith searching for her husband? If so, she needs to wander into the study. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In that library. Which was his favorite room. Which, by the way, if you've seen Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. that's what it reminded me of. It had the different floors in there and... The apparition has been seen several times in this room, surrounded by his library of about 10,000 books. Oh, I didn't realize it was that many books. That's crazy. 10,000 books. (laughs) Mom, 34 bathrooms. (laughs) No, no, 43 bathrooms. Oh, I have the number wrong. (laughs) Dyslexia over here. I had to check that out. (laughs) To add to the creep factor, and maybe you can correct me on this, there are many headless mannequins in several of the rooms dressed in 20th century clothing. Mm -hmm, There are. Many of the staff have reported that if they are working at night, the sounds of laughing, glass clinking, and party chatter can be heard. Minus a real party. I heard there's a lot of parties there, though. Yeah. They take that party train in. Whoop, whoop. It was almost, well, it was initially a bachelor pad for him. Oh, gosh. He had what a huge bachelor pad. Many parties there. Oh, George. Oh, there are accounts of the smell of a lit cigar. Some have even claimed to see smoke as if from the cigar. Oh, wow. Other reports are of cold spots, a feeling of being pushed which usually occurs on the large winding staircase. That would be scary as heck because that staircase is big. Yeah, that staircase. That scarecase. It's a scarecase. <laughs> That's what we're going to call it from now. It's chicken bumps and scarecases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got another word to add to our list. Cacao. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... And strange unidentified smells. And I'm not sure what that means. Ooh. Whether they were stinky, like the stinky professor. Who ate the all the beetle eggs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Buzzard eggs. <laughs> or whether, you know, I don't, I don't know what that means. Did you smell anything? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some have reported seeing spirits in the kitchen, which is in the basement, basement. of oh the house. Oh my gosh, I just remembered. I bet you're going to talk about it. I was so creeped out in the pool area. Yes, I'm getting to that. Holy cow. Like I needed to get through it so fast. Which is in the basement of the house along with the servants quarters, a gym, a double bowling alley, Mm -hmm. and a pool. Oh, that pool was so spooky. Okay, the pool is kind of an interesting feature. It sits empty now. 
But back in George's day, it was filled with 70,000 gallons of water. But it's in the basement. It's so weird. It was heated and lit, but there were two problems. One, most people didn't actually swim in those <laughs> days. And keeping the pool clean was not a concept in George's day. Ew, it's So warm. eventually you had 70,000 gallons of water that was pretty much unusable ew that's disgusting it's like a warm bath that everybody's getting into except wait they're not because they can't swim it's kind of stagnant water there are many accounts of unexplained activity around the pool Mm -hmm. many visitors have felt uneasy yeah 100 and okay there's this is a big cement hole in the ground yeah so that can set were the nooses there i'm sorry were the nooses there? Noose? Like to hang yourself? Well, it there were nooses and I think they were handles. I think they were would have been used as handles, but in Oh, the hanging pit- in the pool? In I saw a picture of the pool. Yes. And there were these these things that looked like handles, but they looked like nooses. And I don't remember if it was before we saw the pool or after you saw the pool, but you can see into like the kitchen area and they have all the food, like fake food, obviously. And then like mannequins with no heads and stuff. So even that's eerie because you're also in a basement Basement. with like lower ceilings. Like you're You're in a basement. You're enclosed. Yeah. And then there's this big hole in the ground. So you're, you're already feeling uncomfortable. But I just, oh, that was a release. That pool was really spooky to me. So I told you about visitors feeling uneasy like you did, and some even totally terrified as if sensing the presence of someone who may have drowned in the pool. Oh, gosh. I wonder if that happened. Of course. Now I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking realistically here, logically. Everybody put your patina hats on. (laughs) A huge empty pool in a basement would make (laughs) most people creep out. Yeah. Okay. So I was the uh, lifeguard at the Benedictine College pool. Which is, again, like basically in a basement in an enclosed room. That is kind of dark. Oh, super dark. It was so creepy. And it's not a huge pool, but it's... No. So... They needed you as a lifeguard there? Who's even swimming? There were some people swimming. (laughs) Really? Back in the day, there was like no... Back in... Back in my day, (laughs) there was like never anybody there. You had to like... He used it for a class to test out of like a class. It was a really easy. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those student work programs. Yeah, it was a really there. easy student work. The only thing that was bad about it was at night when you closed the pool, you had to walk around. And I just, I would get creeped out every single time because here's this pool and this in you're in this dark it's a dark and you're it's downstairs too mm-hmm. so I was a swimmer all through high school and so then when I chose this college I missed swimming so I'd go there to swim laps I think I did it twice and then I was like super creeped out I couldn't yeah. do it anymore I yeah. couldn't do it anymore I, I no no I know exactly how you feel and I don't know why but I was uncomfortable in there all the time well they say spirits are around water too mm. But I don't know how a stagnant pool would. Well, I don't know about this stagnant pool, but BC wasn't stagnant. <laughs> it was cleaned. I know that. But yeah, I'd get the creeps. I I mean, it was the easiest work study I ever had. Sure. But it was the creepiest. Oh, mm-mm. twice and I was done. 
So one of the creepiest reports that I read about was that many have seen a headless orange cat in the garden area. Okay, headless mannequins, but a headless cat? Orange cat in the garden area. There is Specifically nothing- orange. Mm-hmm. Garfield, a headless Garfield. There is nothing in the Biltmore history saying that the family even owned a cat. <laughs> or even, or how it lost its head. Oh, no. That's great. So I wonder if the witnesses also heard meowing. <laughs> but it was headless. <laughs> yeah. A muffled meowing. I oh, wondered whether you. Oh. I wondered whether you would catch on to that. Okay. Um, moving on from the Biltmore on the property's edge. Did you go? We drank a lot of wine. Oh yeah, they do have a winery. A winery mm-hmm. and a restaurant. But like on a the property's town. edge sits the Shiloh Forest Compound. Did you go to that? It was too cold to wander too far. I know they have like hiking and they do. They biking have trails, riding. Horse, they, yes, have they have everything. everything there. Seriously, guys, it is pretty pricey to get in into the Biltmore area. Oh my gosh, but the view and all of their activities. This is not an ad. I do not work for them, but it was so much fun. So I guess you didn't make it all. I mean, this was like on the very edge of the Mm-mm, property. No, we stayed pretty much in the little Biltmore townish area. Again, that reminded me of Beauty and the Beast. And they had like a winery and a restaurant, some couple shops. And then we went to the Biltmore area. Was- mm-hmm. So there's the Shiloh Forestry Compound, like I said, which is also known as the Biltmore Forestry School. Okay. Carl Schneck was German. George had met him on one of his European travels. Carl was a very educated forester, and George hired him for the estate. Because forestry was a subject that interested George as well as many of the locals, Carl started the forestry school. What do you learn at forestry school? In this one-year course, students learned new scientific management systems and practical forestry practices. What is forestry practices? Like like how to... uh, Live in a forest? No. Like how to have a a sustainable forest. How to clean a forest out so you don't have forest fires. You know, how to have rich soils in the forest. What you can get from the forest... This is all the scientific techniques that Carl brought with him. Cool Carl. To teach. <laughs> Forest man Carl. The school is not open for long. Carl and George couldn't agree on Carl's pay, which oh. led to Carl taking off on his own. Oh, man. He continued to teach forestry throughout the U.S. as well as Europe. So it didn't hinder him. No. The Biltmore Forestry School building stood abandoned but not unused. Because the building was very remote, guess who went to visit it? The partiers. No. Oh. The prostitutes. (laughs) So the prostitutes, which we now call sex workers, would bring their, quote, johns to the buildings. This is like pretty far out there, wasn't it? It is way out there. It's very remote. Way out there. Wow. You really wanted to get some. If you're hiking through the forest. You really don't (laughs) want people to know that you're there. It's not known as to whether or not George and his family knew what was happening on the property. Because it was so far from the house. Hmm. But rumors, you know, I mean, Hmm. surely. It's his property. Come on, George. Legends have it that this was also the site of secret hangings. 
Oh. The last one being in the early 1950s. But the people hung were not the only deaths at this site. It is said that during the 1920s, a sex worker was killed by one of her johns. With so much violence, it is not surprising there are many reports of paranormal activity in the building. Some of the earliest reports were in the 1960s, when people noticed lights turning on and off in random windows of the building. Oh. There are now accounts of visitors witnessing doors opening and closing by themselves. And many say that walking into the building, the first thing that strikes you is how cold it is, no matter what the weather is. Oh, gosh. There was one report that somebody actually said it was like 40 degrees. What? Some have seen shadow figures and felt like they just had to get out. Mm -mm. You know that feeling? Yes, Mm -hmm. I do very well. There are reports of a woman's voice singing, perhaps the murdered sex worker. What's a little strange is that everything seems to be contained to the building. There are no reports of activity or sightings beyond the property. Interesting. There are several tours of the Biltmore, like you said, that are Mm -hmm. available, self-guided or with a tour guide. And there's even a behind-the-scenes winery tasting. Did that! I was excited about, but you've already done it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We should totally go back. We're totally... I already told Alex I really want to go back. Well, we just had... This is before kids, too. But we just had the best time. The best time. It, it, the pictures and stuff, I'm sure, didn't do I'll it I'll post ours. I'll post ours. How about that? Oh, that's good. <laughs> I couldn't find in the, the description of the tours whether they included the forestry compound or not. Mm, we didn't go out there. But there are a lot of activities like we spoke about before. Hiking, biking, horseback riding, fishing. Is it still abandoned? The, the, forestry, the forestry school? school? I mean, you can... According to the one report that I read, you it's part of a tour hmm, i wonder if it's still abandoned or if they have filled it with kind stuff and do like events or something turn it to a, to a tour thing yeah i don't know i know that you can stay there not at the forestry school but no, you can stay the there they have like a hotel yeah. or they have little cabins they have like i guess they're not cabins they'd be like villas that you could rent yeah so i if you do want more information on their tours and you know what's available now you can visit their website at builtmore.com oh i cannot speak highly enough about it we went again we went during christmas and it was just absolutely stunning i mean we're big christmas fanatics so that was just gorgeous they have carolers and oh it was so beautiful christmas and i was like oh that's i mean it's just beautiful all year round Mm mm-hmm so, there's so much to do out in Asheville. The Biltmore. Yay, I got to do something that you'd actually been there. Oh my gosh, that was such a great surprise. I hope I didn't ruin it with all my bantering. You talking? <laughs> Me talking? Next week is 50. Wow. Wow is right. Wow is absolutely wow. right. And we have something special planned. Totally for. different. Totally different. Uh, planned for you but we're both really excited so about it excited about it um it just kind of came to us when we were just throwing ideas around and from one of the um true crime stories that we that beth has had actually talked about and i'm not going to give that one away so yeah prepare yes. yourself for next week hope you enjoyed this one but prepare yourself for next week because it's going to be fun and keep your stories coming because just 
just around the corner we're going to be celebrating my birthday with your listener stories she's rolling her eyes again i'm talking about myself sorry (laughs) yes keep sending us your stories you guys alex is going through the ones that we've already gotten my husband is going to be picking out the ones that he wants us to read on the episode so keep them coming you can email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. So this creepy picture of the Lawson family and more pictures will be on our website as well as our social media. I kind of post throughout the week on our social media, but if you want to look at these and you don't have a Facebook or an Instagram, you can check out these pictures on www.killerhangover.wordpress.com. And, 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 is there a Christmas present? There's a little Christmas present slash New Year's present if I can get around to editing it properly enough. But we have a blooper reel. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's hilarious. It's been really hard for me to edit because I'm just dying and embarrassed all at the same time. But it is for our patrons only. So make sure you guys join our Patreon. I will put... A link to that in the description of this episode, and you can also find it on our website and our social media, but that is www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash killer hangover podcast. Five dollars. Five dollars a month, guys. We really, really appreciate it. It's been super helpful for these cocktails and some of the extra resources that we use for our research. So we really appreciate the support. Yes, thank you. There's only a few days left in this year of 2020. So use them wisely. Please be safe, but have fun on but New Year's. But enjoy the rest of this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Make the best of it only a few days left and then 2021 yep we'll see you next year yeah oh gosh (laughs) you're so cheesy i know (laughs) just saying these cherries that have been soaked are really good i know if you hear us munching it was this little (laughs) snack of cherries in the bottom of our drink that have been soaking in the vodka they're really they're really yummy i know (laughs) oh is another good one mom yes cheers Cheers, Mama. Love you, kid. 